This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Thank you all for joining us on this public holiday. And we are very privileged to have with us today Richard uh, Sutton, well-known voice on this uh, radio. Just to give you a, a quick bio, Richard Sutton is an advisor on stress management and adaptability to industry leaders, top athletes and Olympic teams. He is widely regarded as an expert in the field of genetics and their role in resilience and human performance. Richard has been a postgraduate lecturer in the areas of performance, health and athlete development for almost two decades at leading universities. He is the author of the bestseller, The Stress Code, The Surviving to Thriving Guide to Stress, and has recently released a new book, Stress Proof, The Game Plan. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, uh, Today we're going to be talking about burnout, something I think that everybody's heard about and uh, nobody really knows what it is, that it's actually definable. Some people think it's like just a vague emotion or state of being or something that happens to you when you work too hard. But uh, we're going to clarify and unpack burnout. Uh, do you want to maybe just tell us a bit of a definition? What is exactly burnout and why is it so prevalent? So, so the interesting thing about burnout is we, we perceive it to be the state of, of pure physical exhaustion and depletion. And whilst it, it is characterized by that physical element, it is so much more complex um, and is, is really affecting um, so many people at this point in time. Now, if you're looking at definitions, uh, burnout is a syndrome, according to World Health Organization, that is, is a syndrome that is conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has been unsuccessfully managed. And that is the official definition of burnout. And this definition basically, um, I think, was uh, put together or was uh, published in 2019, along with the fact that burnout has been officially classified as a disease, um, according to World Health Organization. But the thing about burnout is it's not not something that affects an isolated pocket of individuals. It's affecting so many sectors, so many groups, so many people to such a large extent. If you look at some of the data, it was an amazing Harvard study that was uh, very extensive. It looked at, uh, it was a meta-analysis. It looked at 182 studies from 45 countries involving 110,000 medical practitioners, physicians specifically. And what they were looking at is the prevalence of burnout within this group. And it's, and it's a, a great group to, to really evaluate and research because it represents so many of the high, the, the professions that are exposed to long working hours and high demands, et cetera. And what they found um, in the studies was that 67% of physicians are experiencing burnout at any given time. And this is pre-COVID. When we start diving in and, and we start exploring other fields like law, for example, prevalence of burnout can go up to 88%, bankers, 71%. And the general workforce will experience burnout at, at any given time on any given day to the extent of around 23%. But there's this erratic or this inconsistent um, burnout that also creeps in with certain groups where you're looking at that 23% expanding um, to buy an additional 44%, um, which basically brings it up to the, the current, current prevalence, which is about two thirds of organizations, businesses and groups. So we really are grappling with something that, um, um, is having an, a, pro a profound effect. What effect does, uh, burnout have on our 
personal lives and on our work lives. So, on, from, from let's I'll start with the, you know what what happens in businesses and within organisations. What a, a business is likely to experience in, in the in the presence of burnout. Now, remember that two thirds of an organisation, especially at this time, you know, after a year plus of of COVID and all the changes that have taken place and the ex, exponential shifts that are, are happening in in society, socially, economically. Um, the prevalence is extremely high, and in that state um, or in this in this particular situation, the risk of absenteeism not coming to work um, increases by 63%. Um, you're also looking at an increased um, risk of emergency room visits by 23% in those who are experiencing burnout. Uh, the risk of resignation from your position in your work increases by 260%. Um, also research shows, I think it was research involving seven and a half thousand people shows that confidence levels decline within individuals and groups experiencing burnout by at least 13%. And if you look at that from an, an overall or broader perspective, we're seeing a whole shift in, in organizational performance in a negative uh, direction or towards a negative trajectory. But on a personal level, I think this is where we can really connect to the contents um, in terms of how burnout is expressing itself. So, yes, we have the expression of burnout from a physical uh, manifestation um, experience. We feel physical exhaustion. We feel energy depletion. But this is just the starting point. If you look at the World Health Organization or other international health uh, organizations and their definitions of burnout, it's far more expansive. So we have this physical element that um, is, is all encapsulating and all encompassing. But burnout is, is something that really starts inculcating itself into our emotional well-being. So we start experiencing a lot more emotional volatility. We start experiencing mental distance from our job and from our lives. And we start becoming very depersonalized where we start looking from the outside in. Or it, It's the strange situation to be in when we're in, in the state of burnout. But it doesn't just stop on that that emotional volatility plane or, or from that perspective. It actually starts really entrenching itself in our psyche and our, our sense of self-worth where there's a reduction in self-worth and our sense of competency where we believe we're not doing anything well and we become very negative and we becoming, we become very cynical. And ultimately what will happen is this decline in performance. It's almost a self-perpetuating cycle um, that emerges in this particular state. Now, from a from a business standpoint, it's an extremely costly, and we understand the personal cost to us, this physical decline, this emotional decline, this mental decline, this, this competency decline, we understand that. But there was a, a great study that really unpacked what the implications are to a business, whether it's your business, whether it's a, a business that you work for, or if you if you're in a senior management position or management position, how it's affecting um, daily operations. A Bain and Company recently re released a, a report, and the report was really looking at the implications of, of burnout in terms of productivity, um, the amount of output that you're able to achieve over a, a given period of time. And what they found was that in a state of burnout, an eight-hour day becomes 4.8 hours. You're sitting at your desk for eight hours, but your, the amount of work that you're able to perform now in a state of burnout is only 4.8 hours. When we start looking at within the context of a week, and we're starting to do 16 hours a week, which is two days of full work. So now we're only working three-day weeks as opposed to that we're sitting at our desk and we're engaging in work-related activities, but we're just not delivering that output. If we look at it within the context of a month, it's 
64 hours that we've lost, eight days. And, and the list goes on. I mean, it's, it's actually quite um, mind-blowing to, to really start unpacking the effects of this experience that we're all going through right now. We're going to take a short ad break. We'll be back right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are talking to Richard Sutton. Needs no introduction, and we are talking to him about burnout and uh, burnout in the workplace. And we just discussed its uh, effects on productivity. And uh, so, what about the drivers of burnout, in Richard, um, at uh, the workplace? What are the main causes uh, of burnout pre-COVID, during COVID? And now after COVID. So the, the interesting thing about the drivers is they are the things that we least expect. So as far as, I mean, I've been researching this topic extensively, especially for my second book, uh, Stress Proof, uh, the Relation of Burnouts and Organizational Performance and Our Wellbeing and the Human Cost. And, and I, I really didn't come across a major study um, that showed a relationship between burnout and hard work and high performance expectations. And that's our assumption. But instead, all the research was leaning towards things like role uncertainty. When we don't know where we position, I think about the time that we're living in now. We just don't know where we're holding. You know, it's what, what the right moves are, where we're going to go in five years, where we're going to go in 10 years, our position uh, uh, currently, what the demands are skill set wise as it's evolving and changing. So role uncertainty is a big driver in burnout. So long working hours is the obvious one, and it affects all of us. Uh, other drivers in burnout are low support. When we don't feel supported, we, we become burnt out. High demand, yes, there is a contribution, but a lower contribu- contribution than we previously thought. Um, employment insecurity is a big driver in, in burnout. High performance cultures are a big um, uh, contributing factor in burnout. Deadlines, but the one thing that is really the one thing that we we never would have assumed or thought as the biggest contributor to burnout is the experience and the perception of injustice. According to research involving seven and a half thousand people, injustice increases our risk of burning out by two hundred and thirty percent. I think it's it's. It's quite, it suddenly makes sense as to why we're all feeling so drained, so emotionally volatile, so fatigued, a little bit negative, a little bit cynical at this point in time. Because the world we live in, this COVID world and, and the world that was emerging before COVID, that fourth industrial revolution whole uh, shift in or recalibration in society, um, bring has brought with it many injustices or perceived injustice, injustices. Can you now, give me an example? Can, can you give me an example of some of the, these uh, injustices? What do people actually feel that they're being treated unfairly on a personal level, on a world level, um, or they see uh, their relationship with colleagues? Uh, what What did the study say? What kind of injustice is most prevalent? So there's four there's four types of justice um, that we are generally exposed to. There's distributive, where we put in efforts and we expect a certain degree of reward. And and the reward could come in the form of financial compensation, being valued by others, being appreciated by others, um, the prospects of growth and and opportunity in the future. That's distributive justice. And the the whole thing about distributive justice is tzedakah is is the the way of balancing this justice. And I think think this recent partial was was really kind of, uh, there was a big emphasis on, on, 
uh, it actually wasn't this posh. It was uh, something I read in a book yesterday about Jonathan Sachs that really talked to um, this this whole this whole Sadaka uh, distributive justice relationship. So that's that's one that's one element. Then we have procedural justice, which is um, how organizations, how businesses, how families, how institutions are from an ethical standpoint, from a truthfulness standpoint, uh, giving their people, giving uh, communities a voice. And procedural justice is really important. Then we have interpersonal injustice or justice, and that involves respect and responsibilities that, that we take um, for others, for communities, for self, for family. And interpersonal justice is as equally as important as distributive and procedural. And then we have this informational um, justice or injustice that, that is so important to us, and that it typically involves transparency and, and clarity. Now, if we start going through these four types of injustice, this distributive, and we look at the times, you're putting in a lot of effort, and most of us have seen a reduction in salaries. Most of us are, are struggling a little bit financially. Uh, most of us feel that our career prospects and growth opportunities are more limited than they were ever before, but we put in more work. And you can see that this distributive this just, the justice is that the scale has tipped, um, and we feel that the world around us, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, there's there's a, an element of, of a lack of fairness, which drives burnout. Then we have procedural injustice, you know, the, the environments that we're around, whether it's governmental or institutional, and we, we really feel that we've lost our voice in many respects, especially from a, a you know, governmental perspective. Uh, uh, we feel that uh, sometimes ethics may be lacking. We feel that the, a certain degree of truthfulness is, is not uh, apparent, and that's the procedural elements um, that we confronted with in, in our day-to-day life. And then there's the interpersonal. I think that if you, you look at it from an interpersonal context where, you know, so many people are grappling with challenges and, and really trying to overcome obstacles in their lives that we sometimes have become so self, uh, self-focused self or so, so, so self-centered on the challenges that we confronted with and our families are confronted with that we sometimes don't have the sensitivity that we had in the past for others and we, we're not as respectful and we, we're not as courteous and, and we're not taking as much responsibility as we have in the past just because we're trying to survive. It's not by our fault necessarily through our doing, uh, conscious doing per se, but, but this interpersonal aspect is, is certainly affecting us and information, I think this is one of the big, the real big injustices of our time is that do we really trust a lot of the media outlets at this point in time? There's so much conflicting information. There's not a lot of transparency. Um, the clarity is certainly not, not great in, in many areas, uh, with, with so many different opinions. And it's really hard to know where you're going and where you stand. And I think this is just the nature of, of, uh, our world today, which is a combination or has certainly been uh, created by the combination of COVID-19 and the fourth industrial revolution converging. So the, the big question is, how do we address this and what do we do about it? And if we're in a leadership role, whether it's family leadership or community leadership, uh, we have a role in an organization, uh, we own an organizational business, um, we, we have this incredible power to change this narrative. Remember, injustice now being the primary trigger in burnout, increasing your risk of burnout by 230%. We've got distributive, procedural, interpersonal, informational injustice, all converging to make people feel out of control and make people feel really, really negative about the future, about the present. And we have this incredible ability right now to change this landscape. We have a defense in this regard. 
And how we go about this is an agenda, an agenda to address these four types of injustice within our microcosms, our microcosm being a family context, our microcosm being a school, our microcosm being community forum, our microcosm being a business. And how we go about it is literally by leading the way. And we start by showing people greater appreciation, greater value for their role in our lives. And if we make an effort every day to those people that are touch our lives, those people that are in our lives, to show that appreciation, show value for them, it is really one of those things that has the potential to start corroding the perception of injustice. The second thing is within, the, within our role and the way we deal with others to be much more consistent. People really love consistency. I, I, mean, I think we know it with our kids. We know it with our kids in terms of they can handle uh, discipline, they can handle boundaries, but they can't handle inconsistency. And that is something that is so important at this time. And I think that if we can take it upon ourselves to be as consistent as possible, at the same time be as fair and just as possible in all the decisions that affect those around us, that goes a long way in creating an environment of perceived justice. And I say perceived very strongly here. The third thing is to try and create transparency in unfolding events within your environment. Transparency in terms of what is happening next, what is happening now, what do we plan to do, what are our hopes, what are our aspirations, what are our challenges. If we can create transparency, this really removes one of those veils, and those veils are, is that informational injustice perception. And transparency, sometimes people want to protect others from the events that we're experiencing and, and we, we are exposed to and challenged by. But at the same time, you know, people are perceptive and they are aware and, and we have to, we have to try and rewrite the script, so to speak. And we have to just basically involve them in, um, the journey that we all embarked on organizationally from a school perspective or in our personal lives. And the last thing is uh, in terms of this defensive plan against injustice in our microcosms within our businesses is to really make an effort to show more respect. So we've, we've had this, this notion of showing appreciation and value for people, what they do, the positions they hold in our lives. But at the same time, to be much more respectful and much more courteous, it really gives us the sense of self-worth that, that is being corroded by the experience of burnout. Now, this is the first step because it's a shared responsibility. So we have a responsibility to change the lives of those that fall within our sphere of influence. But at the same time, those people also have a responsibility to, to make the changes that will facilitate this diminishment of the experience of burnout. And we, we often perceive this, this whole uh, kind of burnout continuum. I'm burnt out, therefore I've been working hard, therefore I need to rest. And we go and have a rest. We take a weekend off. We go away and we feel as burnt out when we come back. Because fundamentally, when we experience this fatigue and this emotional volatility, it is not largely driven by the, this, this physical state and this, this pushing. And it's largely driven by psychological factors. But how we perceive those psychological factors is everything. There was a, a brilliant, brilliant study, and it was a study by Australian researchers involving, it's a meta-analysis again, 45 um, independent studies, looking at the feelings and perceptions of injustice within our world, how we perceive injustice and in what state we're in when we perceive things to be unjust. And what they found was that when we're unhealthy, when we're unmotivated, when we're inactive, 
that is when we perceive the world to be unjust or unjust. And this really puts a lot of responsibility on us. We need to maintain optimal health or try to at least. We need to try and remain energized and motivated and generally active in order to reduce the perceptions of injustice, which will drive burnouts and all of these feelings in the first place. So if we come at it or approach it in this this shared responsibility from the shared responsibility perspective, which is a, a powerful perspective, um, this is the way we're really going to be able to to deal successfully with one of the biggest burdens of our time. We're going to take another short ad break. We'll be back right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to Richard Sutton about, about uh, burnout and uh, what actually is going on inside the brain um, neurologically or um, according to neuroscience, what's happening with our hormones, our chemicals, with our neurotransmitters during burnout, Richard? So the, the, the fundamental thing is I think if we had to start deconstructing it, um, the burnout is an experience of stress. Um, it's the experience that we lack controls, that we are experiencing fears, we have uncertainty that that is overwhelming us, and we have these shifts in molecular balance. We have raised cortisol, a stress hormone, raised adrenaline, and we have certain compensations that take place. Now, in, in the presence of protracted cortisol, um, our experience has become very negative. We experience anxiety and we experience depression and we experience a lot of the symptoms that parallel the experience of burnout from an emotional standpoint. Raised cortisol also can create a state of physical illness and physical disease and fatigue. So we see all the physical parallels um, associated with that. But raised cortisol has a very interesting um, impact on the human brain. And I think the real turning point in our understanding was 2012, a team of researchers at Yale University School of Medicine did a series of experiments um, on individuals who experienced major life stresses and what happened to the composition of their brain. So 103 participants actually were involved in the study and MRI scans were performed um, on all the participants which also all the individuals went through 140, um, I think, questionnaire, question, uh, uh, preliminary screening just to find out about current stress experiences, current traumas, past traumas, past uh, stress experiences. And what they found was in individuals who had experienced significant stress over the course of their life uh, and many challenges like all of us do, I think it was seven areas of the brain showed compromised structural integrity actually had, there was atrophy in seven areas of the brain, which correlated to negative emotional states, negative mood states, and feelings of low self-worth, low self-esteem, etc. So there is this big fundamental structural thing that happens to the brain. But this is largely driven, this whole structural change is largely driven by this cortisol relationship, not in terms of, of cortisol's effect on neurogenesis directly, but indirectly on a molecule that is known as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, which is a neurotrophic, which is a, a molecule that is responsible for brain cell formation, brain cell development, brain cell retention, brain cell connectivity. Fundamentally, BDNF is the rocket fuel that drives growth, drives development in the brain. So it's a very, very powerful molecule. 
Now, in the presence of chronic stress and raised cortisol, BDNF levels will drop by around 40% or greater. In some individuals, it can drop, if there's a genetic polymorphism, can drop by 65% under stress conditions. Now, this molecule is largely responsible for mood stability. This molecule is largely responsible for, uh, for adaptability, cognition, IQ. There's nothing that is not responsible. And in this state of stress, in the state of fear and uncertainty and fatigue and just feeling drained on every level, um, it really sets us up for this in, in this environment that is that is so challenging on, on so many levels. So that is just touching the surface. There are other molecules which I can expound on in great detail, the serotonin and dopamine implications. But but I think fundamentally it, it really starts with brain-derived neurotrophic factor and its relationship to cortisol. How do we protect ourselves from from burnout? In the workplace and now. This is this is something that's really stuck with me, and and uh, it's it's something that's a quote from Jonathan Sachs: "To change the world, you have to understand the world." And we're talking about a microcosm within. So if we understand what causes burnout in the first place and causes that stress that is that accompanies burnout, we can actually make the changes that are necessary within our lives. So we understand that the big drivers of burnout in many instances are role uncertainty within the workplace, long working hours, deadlines, low support, high demands, employment insecurity, injustice is, is one of the big drivers. And if we can change this landscape, we can reduce some of these stresses and some of these challenges. We reduce the effects of burnout and reduce a lot of the negative associations that occur physically, behaviorally and emotionally. But what we have to understand is that there's something within our work environment that is unmodifiable at this point in time, and that is long working hours. And long working hours or excessive work, uh, workload is second to injustice in being a trigger in burnout. In fact, that it's been studies have, have reported that excessive workload increases our risk of burnout by 220%. Now, research have been asking the question, what is that tipping point? How, how do, uh, what determines long working hours? Is it 30 hours or 40 hours? Is it individuals or 50 hours? And the research is really clear on this. What's considered to be that tipping point in terms of driving burnout from this perspective exclusively is that 50 hour point. Now, with our remote working conditions, our days have become a lot longer. You know, we, we caught in meetings and I think the average person research from a research standpoint is working around two hours longer. And, and this is something that we've all felt. Also, the days become the nights and in many instances, the weekends converge with the weeks and uh, the 50 hour week is, is something that has become very common and, and very consistent with, with all of us. But the, the real threshold in terms of health, you know, so the turning point is 50 hours, the real threshold, that, that, that health implication zone where it, it's this tremendous negative surge that follows is the 60-hour mark. Now, in many instances, we, we can't adjust this. We, we don't have the luxury. We don't have the say. Um, the, the times demand it. We have to be always on. It's, it's an ongoing feature. So what we have to do is we have to look at this and this is talk, this is basically answering your question now. Sorry for the the big build up, but I had to create context. Is how do we how do we address something that that in many instances we can't remove the trigger exclusively? So in our personal lives, can we remove the injustice? Difficult. As as a leader, we can change the landscape completely. 
in our personal lives, can we reduce working hours? Often not. As a leader, we can reduce working hours for our organization, for our teams. So what do we do under these circumstances where we can't reduce working hours? And I'm going to create or paint this picture right now. So under these conditions, we have to lean heavily on health tools and resources. So if we are working the long hours, we have to compensate with health practices. Now, health practices, we assume, you know, the harder you exercise, the better you're going to be equipped to handle the long hours. In reality, you're just going to be burning the candle on both ends. So it has to be very specific to your needs, your tolerances, your schedule. Health practices are far more expansive. Uh, Health practices involve exercise. Yes, that's one component. Nutritional choices and careful manipulation on the diet, which is another uh, way in which we can manipulate health practices. The environment we create, if we can create a serene environment that, that really makes a big difference. The big edge here is going to be on the recovery tools. And this is one of my big issues with high-performance cultures is that they often are, are inspired by athletic environments. And it's something I have tremendous experience in. I think two, two decades of experience in high-performing athletic environments. And yes, they push themselves extremely hard. It's, seven, it's almost seven-day training weeks. Some of them can go for years on end. But how do they cope with that environment? And a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations have adopted that model of pushing hard and high expectations and always on and you expect it to excel and be best version of yourself. We'll train you to work harder and faster and smarter, and et cetera. But they're forgetting one fundamental piece that exists within these athletic groups that doesn't exist within the workplace. And that is the emphasis on recovery, the emphasis on stopping, slowing down, regenerating. Whether that's the emphasis on sleep, high quality sleep, we, we can't underestimate the value of sleep. It's also in the context of shutting down the stress response. So athletes once a day at least will consciously shut down their stress axes. And they do this by the engagement of a certain system that exists in the body known as the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is very linked to a, a molecule called acetylcholine. And when we stimulate this nerve system through breathing exercises, through yoga, through meditation, through cold water submersion, we're able to literally shut down this axis within 30 seconds to a minute. It's on cue. It's on demand. And athletes do that all the time. But high-performing cultures and organizations have kind of missed this this part of, of the equation. So my point here is that if you're exposed to some of the burnout triggers like injustices and long working hours, which are the two primary ones, um, one has to have this tremendous focus and strategic understanding of health and well-being, and it can be done. Can but, you tell us, sorry, just a bit more about um, what people could maybe do at home to access that vagal stimulation so that they can maybe uh, help shut off? You mentioned a few things, yoga and uh, sleep, meditation, exercise. What can they do at home if they just want to uh, switch off? Really what's, what's needed here is the practical application. How does this look like from a, a personal perspective? So in order to, to really, uh, from my sense, all personal preference, what, what relates to you and what's possible. For me, the greatest tool that I, I have two specific tools that I use um, when the demands and the working hours are high. And, and mine are particularly high, as I'm sure are yours um, at, at this point in time. So my, my first preference is meditation. I use the app Calm, um, but there's so many different apps. And there's YouTube and there's teachers that can, that can really coach you on this. 
And basically, I connect to meditation twice a day for 10 minutes. Um, I don't need more than that. And I, I just take those points when I'm feeling over-aroused and a little, a little bit kind of revved up. And I, I take those moments just to shut down. I either go lie down on my back or, uh, on the floor or alternatively, I sit, on, sit in, a, in a meditative position and just go through this, uh, this slowing down and recalibration process just to contain and control my stress axes. And I, I have to do that. I, I have a genetic polymorphism of a specific gene known as FKBP5. And, and I, I tend to really struggle to shut down my stress axes. Um, because of this polymorphism, so so something that's very important to me. But one of one of the the one of the, the greatest tools for me that and was something that I really talked about a lot in my first book, The Stress Code, um, was underwater experiences. So every day in the afternoon, especially after tough days, what I'll do is get into the pool and I'll do a couple of underwater lengths. And what happens is when we submerge ourselves in water or in that type of environment, if we're lucky enough or privileged enough to have a pool. Um, when we submerge ourselves in that environment, the minute our head goes underwater, we activate this primitive reflex known as the dive reflex. And it's basically a reflex that will protect us uh, in, in the event of um, a hypoxic state, basically a deprivation of oxygen. Uh, and basically what will happen with this reflex is it will override anything that's going on at the time and slow your system down for survival, whether there's a conscious or subconscious um, uh, requirement to do so. So it's the most amazing thing. The minute you submerge your head underwater and you hold your breath for a couple of seconds, um, you have this total wind down of your biological state. And it is a really calming, for me, and a very soothing thing. So there, there are days where I'll integrate that. It can take me five minutes. So it doesn't have to take you a long period of time. But a lot of a lot of other techniques, uh, you could. there's those um, face packs that you keep in the fridge um, that are used for puffy eyes and uh, freely available, I think, pretty pretty much everywhere. And you just put them in the fridge, you put them on, um, put them over your eyes for a period of, of three minutes, and that will shut the stress axes down. Um, splashing yourself with cold water on the face or a cold shower um, can actually control, but the temperature has to be pretty cold um, to do that. will control the stress axes in many different ways um, through different molecular mechanisms um, and and the vagus nerve as well. But but there's so many tools and you just really have to choose what talk speaks to you and what resonates with you. And for me, it's the meditation and the water submergence. For others, it'll be performing yoga and, and even breathing exercises are really great. You got me off on a top of a tangent now, but it's a really great breathing technique um, by, I think it's a doctor. Uh, I actually can't, I've, uh, I'm going to kind of uh, step back from, from, I can't remember his name, but uh a really, really great breathing technique, uh, which involves four second inhale, a seven second holding of breath and an eight second exhale. And you perform this four times, several times a day. And that has a, a powerful effect on, on the regulation of the stress axis. So there's so much we can do, but I, my, my point here in terms of health tools and resources in coping and addressing uh, burnouts is that they have to lean more to the recovery side of the spectrum. It's not more about pushing and about expanding your, your fitness capabilities. It's, it's really about learning how to soothe your system and shut down your system and calm your system down um, in from a, a strategic standpoint. How does a person actually realize, what, is there self-realization? What do people think uh, of, of burnout? How do people, how's the diagnosis made? I'm sure so many people aren't aware that they have um, burnout. The, the challenge with the diagnosis is that it parallels a lot of the symptoms associated with depression. 
you know, the feeling of low self-worth and emotional volatilities and the depersonalization and the mental distance from one job and negativity and cynicism. So it's very difficult uh, to, one, self-diagnose, um, and two, I, I think that a lot of physicians um, would be repressed on creating a definitive diagnosis. Um, but I would be uh, consulting with your medical practitioner, uh, your doctor, just, you know, if you are experiencing uh, more than three of, you know, energy depletion, physical exhaustion, emotional volatility, depersonalization, mental distance from your job, reduced self-worth, reduced competency, negativity or cynicism, you've experienced more than three of those, I would definitely have a chat um, to your doctor and, and really kind of explore this further. And I think this is a really good starting point. But at the same time, if you've been experiencing the long working hours and you're experiencing the the, the sensation um, or uh, you, you've been you're encountering injustice in your life uh, this that that also um, would go a long a long way in in creating a defined um, diagnosis in, in this regard just as as uh, correlating uh, events but but just to to really talk about um, you know addressing you know this this whole narrative is we understand so we understand the landscape and and this gives us the opportunity to make a difference and change our lives. So what else do we do? So we can't some of the events we can't change and and if we can't change them, there's this big emphasis on health. But what are the other things that we can try and create around us or we can create for other people that reduce? Um, the, the impact of burnout stemming from specifically long working hours because we've addressed the, the injustice elements. And one of those big things is if we can create financial security, it's very difficult at this point in time and it's very difficult to create it for ourselves. But financial security reduces the impact, reduces the prevalence, reduces the occurrence of the experience of burnout. And it, it is, it's a financial insecurity is really hard hitting. It's not just um, that fragility and vulnerability, there's also an element, you know, when we, there is this um, burden in terms of uh, financial position and there is this, uh, this, this poverty and, and inequality element, it, it, it really entrenches and calculates itself into our psyche. It, it really it affects, affects us on a, a very personal level. It's not just the challenge of not having a means, it's, it's the challenge of... Uh, the, the stigma that goes along with it. And if organizations and businesses can try and create, you know, off from the outset when creating a, or when hiring new, new individuals and, and creating new structures and create the first thing they can set up is, is uh, security plans. I, th I think they will go a long way in alleviating the effects of burnout. And what they stand to gain is, is individuals who are so much more productive. At the same time, right. so, yeah, yeah. We do, we'll just take a sh before we carry on with the next thing we do, we're just going to take a short ad break and then I'd love to carry on. Sorry to interrupt. We'll be back right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we're speaking to Richard Sutton and we're busy uh, talking about burnout and you just mentioned uh, Richard, about financial security, that it's a, um, if we can try to be financially secure or have some kind of financial secure um, assurance from the workplace, it does a lot to alleviate the burnout. So what were you going to get onto next? Yeah, so, so I think that, so that's, that's, I think that's one thing that we, we always really have to be mindful of is that, you know, it's when we feel this pressure financially, we in an always on mode, we become hyper vigilant, we don't rest, even if we're not working, we can become severely burnt out just off, off the basis of, of this, these fears and insecurities. Um, the second, the second thing I think that is really important. We're actually on the third thing, not the second thing. But the the next thing that's uh, most important or really important is 
support. Um, I think that support is can can really alleviate burnout to to a tremendous extent. And this is we often we often believe that support is limited to the emotional space. And a lot of us, you know, we we're fortunate enough to have families who support us and provide supportive environments from an emotional perspective. But with these remote working conditions, the thing that is lacking right now, the real challenge of our time is instrumental support. We don't have the same degree of mentorship. We don't have the same degree of guidance. We don't have the same think tanks and, and workshops that we used to have when we were working side by side individuals. And I think this lack of support is, is also driving, um, a burnout to a large extent. So if we can create environments that, that promote instrumental support over and above the emotional support elements, all of a sudden this, this, you know, working hours becomes far less impactful on our, our well-being. If we can add to that, a stronger relationship focus. Um, so we're building relationships between people. And I think this is another thing that we've really felt right now is a lot of us are feeling very isolated and disconnected from others. And we become comfortable in that state. Ironically, is, is that the longer we're in the state, the less we want to engage with the outside world. But the relationships are our, our entire success, not part of our success. Our entire success is built on the interaction with others and the support we get from others, the mentorship we get from others, the guidance the constructive feedbacks, you know, we, we believe that our success is completely independent of others, but in reality, it is totally, totally and utterly dependent on others. And if we can really use this time to reconnect and rekindle relationships professionally, personally, that will alleviate a tremendous degree of burnout. Moving from that relationship and support focus to the community um, elements, uh, you know, it's it's a funny thing. I think we've all experienced it, you know, whether we're studying or whether we're working or whatever environment we're in place in, we, we can arrive on a, you know, on a Thursday at, at work or to varsity or, or whatever we're doing, and we feel absolutely drained, depleted. We've got no energy. We feel lifeless. We feel unmotivated. We don't want to do anything, go anywhere. We just want to get through the day. And, and we, we're most likely that can continue for a few days and, and weeks or months on end. But then something happens. We, we get a mail. We have an interaction where there's this, this new opportunity or this new narrative that is about to enter our lives. Whether it's something we've always wanted or something that really gives us purpose or meaning and inspires us or something that involves a community effort. And the minute this starts in, this narrative becomes a, a reality in, in our mindset. Um, all of a sudden the burnouts and the exhaustion we're feeling, we feel nothing. We have energy. We have copious amounts of energy. The amazing thing is that when we have purpose and we have shared purpose and we have community, burnout is actually something that doesn't really exist. And this brings me to like a really great story. And it was on a Tim Ferriss podcast. And he was talking to, um, it was actually an Adam Grant, uh, uh, podcast and he was talking to an individual a very successful individual who was experiencing burnout really struggling with life and and kind of just going through the motions and, and feeling every negative emotional and behavioral effect and and he asked uh, Adam Grant asked the asked this individual like so how did you fix it did you rest did you go away did you take time off and and the individual responded by saying, I've tried all of that thing, uh, all of that, um, and none of it worked. It's all that, all that's happened is it gave me a temporary respite. And, and, you know, the minute I stepped back into the office and back into normal life, uh, the, the experience was overwhelming. And we all can identify with that. 
So um, the individual proceeded to say that they decided on the weekends to take on community work, uh, whether it was volunteering or helping disadvantaged communities in, in the way that they could, their strengths and their, 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 their the elements that they can contribute to life, um, their strengths that they could leverage off. And, and they, they proceeded to say that, that all of a sudden this experience of burnout from taking on these community projects and having purpose and having meaning, all of a sudden the experience of burnout disappeared completely. And that is the power of, of this, the shared purpose and, and community. And, and I think that really is, is a story that, that is, uh, that, that embodies this, this, uh, a breakout from this experience of, of burnouts and how important community and shared purpose is. Which, lend, which leads me to the final point in terms of, of managing burnout. And, and the final point uh, in this regard is motivation. And it ties very closely into purpose. If we can be motivated, if we have, if we are motivated by things like pleasure or social capital, um, it's, it's something that can break us out of this cycle. Um, if there's, if you're motivated to do something because of, you know, it's, it's really going to kind of build our, our reputation or, or build, um, our position in community. Um, very powerful. But what's more powerful is the motivation of aspiration. Knowing where you want to be, knowing what you want to do, knowing how you want to influence communities, how you want to influence the world and having that element of hope, that hope is, is an incredible driver in motivation and as is passion. And if you can combine hope and passion and aspiration to motivation, all of a sudden you become inspired. And when you become inspired, burnout is no longer an issue in your life, no matter what the circumstances are. You'll have tired days, yes, but you're not going to have these volatile days. And if you're a leader or someone in a position of responsibility, you've been designated a mission. If you want to change the landscape within your organization, within your family, within any institution that you're currently involved in, your mission is to inspire your team. And I think that it's just such a powerful viewpoint from, you know, we always look at burnout as a a self-responsibility is something that we got to take on for managing ourselves and it, and it is very much in our perception and within our reality and, and it's going to be solved by just a little bit of rest and a, a little bit of um, health practice. But in reality, it's complex. There's psychological elements. And if you want to win this battle, this battle has got to be won off a strategy and the strategy has got to encompass all these elements that affect us in everyday life. Rich, we're going to take our uh, final ad break. We'll be back right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We've been spending the past hour speaking to Richard Sutton all about burnout. So um, without giving too much of a, of a, away what's in your books, um, do which one of your books deals my, uh, with this topic of burnout, and uh, where? What other resources can people access to help uh, deal with their burnout? So, so the, the each book independently deals with an aspect of this. So, the first book, the Stress Code, was very much a personal piece: how to manage oneself successfully in and through difficult times. 
and it, and it looks at di- different strategies and different techniques and how mindset is so important, how our behaviors are critical to our success in overcoming difficult situations and events and how controlling the stress axis can change our reality and the importance of health habits. So it's very much that personal piece. And I think that we can't remove the personal piece from the burnout equation. Remember, there's a shared responsibility between environment and, and the individual. Um, the second book talks about the leader's role in managing the well-being of those that fall within their sphere of influence. And it really starts off by saying, look, this is what's happening to people. This is what they're going through on a, on a daily basis. This is the implications of the stresses they're confronted with and the, the manifestations, physically, emotionally, psychologically. It then dives into why, because you, you can't address something unless you understand the landscape. And the second book really talks to understanding what the landscape is. And it's, it's the combination of COVID-19 and the fourth industrial revolution, the, the, the vast changes that have occurred um, in, in society within a very short period of time and, and how we, we're really struggling to keep up with the change. The third part of, of that book really talks to the consequences of inaction. It really is kind of a theme that parallels the climate change narrative. And it just is basically saying that people matter. It's you, you can't, you can't neglect the, the well-being, the emotional, physical, uh, intellectual, behavioral well-being of, of the people that fall within your sphere of influence. And this is, these are the consequences of inaction. This is where we're holding right now. And it can't continue. It just can't continue. And then the last piece of, of stress proof, it really talks to what do we do? Where, what is our role? What is our responsibility? And there's a tremendous, tremendous responsibility on leaders right now. It's a great, it's a great privilege. Um, it's, it's a, an incredible gift to be a leader in these times um, that we live in. Um, but it comes with it a, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous responsibility and, and incredible demands. And, but both books really unpack burnout from, from different standpoints. So it depends where you're holding. Um, in terms of, Research Gallup. Um, Gallup is a great reference. Look, uh, Google Gallup and burnout a great reference point. They've done tremendous research on this. Um, I think that's that's probably the best resource. Uh, and I, I think there's there's a lot of lot of information on, online in, in this regard. Um, but but it's something you know. I think that's you know it's it's something that I really would encourage that people take a strategic approach to and not a tactical approach to, um, as opposed to just kind of dealing with the immediate consequences and context, rather looking at it in a in a broader, more long term or medium term uh, from a medium term perspective, looking at it holistically, stepping out of your emotional state and where you're holding right now, trying to get um, all the pieces of the puzzle aligned and just put together a plan that that helps you navigate. Uh, one of the most difficult periods in human history. Richard Sutton, thank you so much as always. Awesome uh, chatting to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, don't forget, uh, Richard has got uh, two books that are out available at all um, good bookstores, The Game Plan and uh, Stress Proof. Thanks again so much, Richard Sutton, for joining us, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you.